of the Randy Tobler Show. It's great to be with you. Thanks for being here. Hope your humble abode is safe and dry. Uh, Leah, uh, the storm uh, sort of preempted the first hour of our show, and we're thankful, though, that Larry was there with a best of to really uh, regale us. I enjoyed listening to Larry this morning as uh, sort of getting ready and getting me all juiced up for the show. It was fun. So I want to talk to you about a, an anniversary We had our first anniversary with you putting up with me this week for just a for a whole year. I can't believe it. It's been a year that you've put up with me. Uh, You think we can make it another year? I mean, you're going to be able to hang in there. Mm, I don't know. Oh, listen to this. Listen to the delay. Yeah. No. Well, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I could. I I thought you look forward to Saturday mornings like uh, the Taylor Swift concert. I mean, come on, no. I I look I look same. forward to doing your show. If we could, oh. you know, the Saturday mornings are, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they take a toll on you. Not for you because you move from your bedroom to the office, but for me, yeah. having to get yeah. up at four a.m. every Saturday, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I love and I do come up. I love being here. I, I do with come you. out of hiding once in a while to to come into the studio. Yeah, right? you're right. I'm able to do the uh, to do the, the the home studio, which is a nice thing. Thank God for technology. That's a great thing. Well, technology couldn't save Lahaina uh, Mau, uh, in uh, Maui there uh, in uh, in Hawaii, and what a sad apocalyptic scene that is. I know many of you have probably been to one of the other Hawaiian islands, perhaps Maui, that west side of Maui. I will tell you a story about that. Uh, a little bit and why uh, these things touch us and maybe should remind us when we see news stories to uh, it, it, but once in a while when you have a straight connection with some with, with a place it really does sort of make you ponder other stories as you see them um, Merrick Garland yesterday uh, I thought it was a Babylon Bee announcement in fact I'm still thinking it is I have that Babylon Bee audio from Merrick Garland's announcement I think I, before the weekend's over I think we're going to find that this was this was a Babylon Bee collusion between Babylon Bee and Merrick Garland and I'll explain why uh, we had a lot of other stuff happening this week of course uh, Jack Smith requested the J6 Trump trial to run Hmm, concurrent with, well, starting shortly before the Iowa caucuses in January. No, there's nothing political there, is there? And uh, a couple news stories that caught my fancy about racism among secondary and higher education. A couple examples of, frankly, racist, fraudulent, contemptuous, and deceitful um, 
high school and uh, college professors, both being fired for their racist actions and views and uh, lots else to talk about on the program. Uh, we will be talking. Uh, actually, I'm going to I talk with Catherine Barnett, who's hard to track down, hard to track down. But she is the grassroots advisor and coordinator for um, Vivek Ras- uh, Ramaswamy and actually a uh, a uh, senatorial candidate in Pennsylvania came fairly close to getting that uh, primary nomination. Actually, I mean, she was certainly in the run on the uh, on the Republican side. Uh, we'll talk with her at uh, seven o'clock. Uh, at seven forty-five, Virginia Cruda will be with us. Uh, I'm sorry, at eight eight oh eight oh six will be Catherine Barnett. Uh, and before that, Virginia Cruda, and then Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft weighs in at eight twenty-five, and. Uh, and then 8.05, we have Eric uh, Peters as well. So we have lots, lots, lots to talk about. And uh, it'll be a busy, busy show all morning. The number is 314-912-1019. If you'd like to join in on the program, please, uh, please do. Um, there's just a ton of stuff going on. Uh, and let's let's start out uh, with the and we have oh, and the, another great thing that happened this week. Joe Biden back from the beach. And, you know, Leah, we'd had a little bit of a dry patch with our Biden bites this week. We've got some Biden bites for the uh, for the audience because uh, it's a little dry spot when uh, when Joe's not in D.C. You know, things are a little bit sedate, but he gave us a little information as he was out on the road today, gave us a little stuff to have some fun with. Let's start out with um, Merrick Garland, clip number seven. This is um, I, I still think before the end of the weekend. We'll find that th- th- this was produced at the headquarters of Babylon B. I-, I-, I just mark my words. I could be wrong, but you tell me what you think. Remember, well, go ahead and play this clip. Good afternoon. I'm here today to announce the appointment of David Weiss as a special counsel, consistent with the Department of Justice regulations governing such matters. In keeping with those regulations, I have today notified the designated members of each House of Congress of the appointment. In February 2018, after being nominated by the former president and confirmed by the Senate, Mr. Weiss was sworn in as the United States Attorney for the District of Delaware. Mr. Weiss had been a career prosecutor, having served previously in the office for more than a decade. Beginning in 2019, Mr. Weiss, in his capacity as U.S. Attorney and along with federal law enforcement partners, began investigating allegations of certain criminal conduct by, among others, Robert Hunter Biden. That investigation has been recently referenced in federal criminal proceedings in the District of Delaware, and as noted in those proceedings and other public statements by Mr. Weiss's office, that investigation remains ongoing. All right. Now, David Weiss, remember, is the prosecutor who whistleblowers said said that to staffers that he was hang, hamstrung and hand tied by higher ups in his investigation of Hunter Biden and that he didn't have the authority to bring as a Delaware prosecutor charges in in California or D.C., which California is where most of these offenses occurred in, in D.C. Those are the two places. Merrick Garland said as much. That he had all said that he had all of the of the of the leeway he needed. David Weiss 
in op, in contradistinction to what the whistleblower said, wrote letters, not one, but two to Congress in the last few weeks saying, no, I had all the authority I needed. This is the same David Weiss who was involved in these, um, shall we say, whitewashing of uh, Hunter Biden's gun crimes through a diversion deal, embedded in which was immunity from any prosecution for anything that, thank God, thank God for that Trump-appointed judge that sniffed it out and told him and his lawyers and the DOJ lawyers who were caught red-handed in a slimy, corrupt deal to protect Hunter Biden, no way, not having any of it. That's the same David Weiss's prosecutorial team. You can't tell me that this isn't a Babylon Bee thing. This isn't. This can't be real. This has to be a joke. I laughed when I saw it. I mean, clearly, these dub, this DOJ is doubling down on protecting, well, either trying to walk back and protect their own sorry butts, or more likely to now let David Weiss double down on his unprosecution, his misprosecution, his failed prosecution the way it should be of Hunter Biden and further investigations. Remember, the whistleblower said that David Weiss told staffers in a meeting with several of them there that he was told by higher ups not to investigate, not to call, not to go visit Joe, not to visit Joe's place because the optics would look bad. This I'm telling you, this stinks worse than a trash can full of rubbish that rain has been on and then sat out in the 90-degree heat with the lid on, and you you open up the lid and the maggots are crawling around. You probably know what I mean. You've all have anyone been there and done that? That's how bad this stinks. If it's true, you can't. This is Babylon B stuff. Why wouldn't Merrick Garland, if he was serious about an independent investigation, get someone out of the government? That's a whole nother issue. He should have, you, when you, uh, my understanding is a special counsel should be someone outside the government. So I don't know. This would be, this is just crazy. Um, I, I don't know. This is just so corrupt. It's just unbelievable. But we'll see where it goes. Anyway, that's, that's the big story from, uh, from Friday, uh, from yesterday. And uh, now the other thing you notice at the end of that clip, there's ongoing investigation now. They're going to try to prevent Weiss and Garland and now anyone else involved in the investigation to come before Congress is to now immunize them against congressional testimony. And Weiss had previously said he was willing to do that. Now, if he shows up, of course, every answer will be like prosecutorial taking the fifth. Uh, can't comment. Ongoing investigation. Yeah, it's an ongoing investigation. Can't comment on that. Oh, well, I wish I could. Well, we're diligently investigating. Can't say anything, ladies and gentlemen. Is there anything that can stink more than that uh, visual that I, the, that visual and olfactory uh, imagery that I set there, Leah? I mean, the rotten garbage with maggots in the in the in the <laughs> trash can. In I don't the sun? think so. That, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's pretty bad, isn't it? It's pretty graphic. Yeah. That's how bad. That's how bad this administration, the DOJ, their cult worship of climate change. Their erosion of the of the the, uh, the absolute ignorance of the border uh, border and ignoring it, that's how bad it all stinks. This administration. Well, as long as we're on a roll with some good sound, 
I'm just getting, it's just so fun to watch these people just self-destruct with their mismanagement. Hey, how about this one? Uh, remember, remember the sanctuary city craze? Everyone wants to be a sanctuary city. We feel sorry for these illegals. Well, in clip five, New York City Mayor Eric Adams seems to have changed his tune. And later, recently this week, the Boston governor has changed her tune. But let's just let mayors speak for all of these northeastern cities who, when they wanted to virtue signal, oh, what, what are these people in Texas complaining about? We've got these poor, starving immigrants who are persecuted wherever they come from. They need to be here. We need to. This is a melting pot. Yeah, we'll take them in we'll, till they have to walk the talk. Listen to New York City Mayor Eric Adams. The system in this nation is broken. It has been broken for decades. We're also asking the federal government to declare a state of emergency. This will allow federal funds to be allocated quickly to help address the urgent challenges we face. Wow, sounds to me like a five alarm fire, doesn't it? Wow, what happened? What in the world happened that all of a sudden it's a big deal now? Well, you know why? It's because that's what the left does. They virtue signal. They talk the talk. They denigrate anyone who recognizes reality while they live in their utopian lollipop and rainbows world where it's all done with windmills and solar panels. And the earth naturally just spits out rivers of precious metals and rare earth metals that need to be done in the name of uh, need to be mined in the main in the name of green climate uh, change protection that's what they need to do yes indeed well we found we've called them out and so have the governors of uh, of cal of texas and florida i'm so thankful for that i mean it's just it's just it's so rich it's just so so rich well uh we've got a lot more coming up on the program but you know what i think it's time that we um take a little break Listen to some of our sponsors. When you need our sponsors, goods, or services, please consider them because, of course, that's what keeps this station on air, on NewstalkSTL.com, on the app, on Alexa, and uh, Facebook. And what are we on? Facebook and Rumble. You won't let me on YouTube, will you? Facebook, Rumble, and Twitter. Yeah, but you won't let me on YouTube because we'll get thrown off. Yeah. I think you're wrong. We we can try it. No, let's not go there. A judge orders Southwest Airlines attorneys to take a course on a religious freedom. Make my day. Mark Mix, the president of National Right to Work Committee, joins us to talk about that right after this. Well, we're going to roll along here on the program, even if Mark Mix is having a hard time connecting with us. Well, that's okay. It happens. Saturday morning, you know, it's a morning to sleep in. We understand that. We have grace for guests that don't show but that's cool we'll see if we can get in touch with mark because it's an interesting story uh, southwest airlines was ordered by a judge after an employee um exerted her religious rights and the airline was spanked and you know got their hand slapped they were supposed to in a message to uh employees say that how they were basically to emphatically emphasize how they respect religious rights well, they didn't do that. They morphed the statement that the judge had approved them to uh, to send out. And uh, she sued, got a lot of money. Uh, it was reduced a little bit uh, from the jury uh, award, but still got a lot of money. And um, 
The judge ordered Southwest Airlines attorneys to take a religious freedom course by none other than the Alliance Defending Freedom. These are the folks that won that Supreme Court case at the end of the last term, protecting that web designer. I mean, it's it's remarkable up in New Hampshire. I'm just it's 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 energizing, ladies and gentlemen, to see the right. We're so aptly named, aren't we? I mean, we're not called the wrong. We're called the right. It's so great um, to see the right making headways and 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 really pushing back successfully in the courts uh, in in the educational circles, I mean, look down in uh, in Florida, that Florida University is now staffed with people from Hillsdale College, Chris Rufo. I mean, as far as on the board level, board of trustees, and they're they're turning the curriculum around into a classical liberal education, which is it's a fabulous education. That's what I that's what we got. Leah, don't shake your head. I know you're saying, yeah, look where that got you. No, no, no. A classical liberal education. That's 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 what led those. That's the education that led to the people that, uh, you know, put the man on the moon and, uh, you know, advanced the Internet. And, and well, no, that was Al Gore. Uh, but all of the it, that's the education that breeds curiosity. It breeds you a knowledge of the classics. It breeds you a knowledge of, uh, you know, Aristotle and Socrates and Plato. You know, that's Socrates and Plato. Right, Leah? You know about Socrates and Plato? Um, I'm kidding. I thought it was Socrates, but. No, I'm kidding. I was just testing you. I'm just testing you. All right. So at any rate, and then now up in New Hampshire, there's a big uh, kerfuffle. They want to use a, you've all heard of Dennis Prager, does a great podcast. He's been around for ages. A a great guy, writing, writes prolifically, and he's very articulate about uh, all things conservative. Well, you know, Prager U features these five-minute videos that really hit at the heart of matters that are important culturally, economically, politically, sociologically, really great, uh, by, by all kinds of great people and many of whom we've interviewed on this program. All right, well, he has another thing where it's it's a financial, uh, like a financial management uh, curriculum. I think it's 15 short videos. New Hampshire educational officials wanted as part of the sanctioned, the statutory authorization or requirement, I forget which, in New Hampshire to teach high schooler or, you know, K through 12, I think it's high schoolers, financial management. So they there's a, there's a module where they, you learn financial management, how to manage your money, how to pay your taxes, how to bank balance your check, but, you know, basic stuff, great stuff. And they wanted to use a curriculum from PragerU. They even, and it's on a separate platform. There are liberals in the education elite apparatus part of the educational industrial complex in new hampshire so, well we we can't have that those children with their and it's again this is this is a little separate curriculum from the political slash cultural prager u curriculum uh, videos and and the opponents to this in new hampshire are saying uh well, you know, the, these people might, they might get a wind of what Prager's doing on PragerU. <gasps> they might look at the other stuff that PragerU has. <gasps> Pray tell. Talk about what happened to you liberals and freedom of speech and be tolerant and let's just take all the opinions in. You guys used to accuse us on the right and we're naptly named the right because we are right. Those of us on the right who were so intolerant and so judgmental and, oh, there's only one way to do. Th- well, you know what? Isn't that funny how the screw turns and now the tables are turned 
and they do not want the speech heard that they know will change people's hearts and minds into, guess what? Believing again in first American principles, those principles that brought us to the dance and that will return us to that great prosperous America leading the world, the world led by the America, the likes of which Ronald Reagan knew, the likes of which uh, even in the later part of his term, the Bill Clinton, Newt Gingrich tensioned but effective partnership knew and drove us to a balanced budget, don't you know? That America, that hardworking, that right is right, wrong is wrong, men are men, women are women, that America. What are you afraid of, left? What's wrong with having a little PragerU uh, visualization by our children? Hmm, what are you afraid of? Let me know. <laughs> oh, man, it's getting better and better and better. Well, uh, there's another thing. That, that then takes me to the whole discussion of our political culture. This election season, you know, the Iowa State Fair is going on as we speak and um, full of fried Snickers bars and hamburgers with Oreos and queso cheese all over the burger. I mean, I can't believe some of the things I've seen there. It gives you a heart attack just looking at it. And, of course, the politicians are walking around, you know, flipping pancakes and slapping backs and shaking hands and. If Joe Biden were there, he'd be smelling women's hair. I guess she's not doing that, though, because they're keeping him in the basement. They need to keep him at the beach in the basement in the Corvette. Just keep him off the podium. And you start thinking and ruminating about who's who's less likely to lose, because this is the Republicans candidates election to lose. OK, I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Despite what Biden and Kamala want to say about Bidenomics, we all know what it means to our pocketbooks. Take a trip to the to the to the grocery store. Fill up your fill up your gas tank, tank your your diesel fuel. Holy cow. It's out of control. Up to what? 30, 35, 40 cents in the last few weeks. So the setting is right for a return to the Oval Office of a conservative president. But but we don't want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory which raises the temperament and the character of the candidates because absolutely aren't we haven't we been talking about a distempered well that's a dog disease but it probably applies to this this uh, progressive left and the way they work and the way they think yeah like a little bit of distemper but this this absolutely out of control administration this corrupt Biden family the incompetence of Kamala Harris, the weaponization of the DOJ, the IRS, the on and on and on. And so it's it's ours to lose on the right. And I keep wondering who's less likely to lose the election among the various GOP candidates. Who's forward looking? Who has walked the talk most recently and most effectively? And I maintain that we need to really think about the two leading candidates right now, Trump, DeSantis, and let me throw in Vivek Ramaswamy as a dark horse, but someone to listen to. So, Exhibit A. This is Candidate A, Donald J. Trump. I think that's uh, bite one. Isn't it? Yeah, let's play that. Yeah. I think this is the uh, Trump uh, digging at Christie on the stump. Play that. Who's good? 
No, no, Christie's he's eating right now. He can't be bothered. <laughs> Sir, please do not call him a fat pig. That's very disrespectful. Don't call him. See, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Don't call him a fat pig. You can't do it. You can't do that. So now, because you're not allowed to do that, and therefore uh, we're not going to do it, okay? We want to be very civil, right? So, the lady... Now, watching the, audio, the video on that's important. If you have a chance to catch it, it's, it's all over the web. Maybe we can put... Uh, you know, Leah, can you put that on the show page? Why don't we put that on the show page so people can take a look at that? Um, that was a Twitter thing that Christie actually put on his Twitter, and he said, look, you know, I, I dare you to come and say that to my face at the debate. Come on, man, let's have it out. I mean, that's a New Jersey, tough New Jersey guy, Chris Christie, albeit severely obese, but saying to Trump, you know, come on, man, don't be a bully, you know, when I'm not there to talk to you. Let's have a, let's have a discussion face-to-face. Will you say that to my face? And that bothers me that Trump did that. Now, he, you know, it, yeah, it's funny. I guess you can say it's funny. It's so oh, it's it's cute. You know, he said, I don't know where someone. You know, he's talking in his speech. I think he was in Iowa, actually. No, no, no. Chris Christie's eating. Okay, referencing his his weight, and then he points down for. Oh no, no, no! Don't call him a fat pig, sir. I would bet. I'll bet you a a donut and a coffee this morning at your favorite donut shop. If it. If it's not true that there was no man down in front saying, Chris Christie's a bad pig. He was staging that. And and that troubles me about Donald Trump. It troubled me when he talked about Rand Paul's hair. It solidified my support for, okay, I'm a loser, I know. Carly Fiorina, back in 2016, she was my choice for president. She successfully navigated HP through some turbulent waters back in the early 2000s. Um. She, as a leadership model, her her mo, her her mo her her vision was, and her mission was to elevate people so that they could be the very best they can do. That's when when she was asked, "What's your vision of leadership?" That's admirable. And when he told her, it really t- turned me into a well, okay, I'll vote for Trump, but I, it made me hard to ever be an always Trumper. When he said, "Who look at that face? Who'd vote for that face?" that's a problem with character it's a problem with character when you can't let it go and you tell people after the 2020 election not to show up in georgia to vote and we lose the senate and i maintain that despite his undue unreasonable prosecution by the da in new york city by jack smith not once but twice and now fanny willis in Fulton County, Georgia, will probably prosecute him and charge him and indict him. Notwithstanding, I think there's a character problem that makes him as or more likely to lose this election than any other candidate in the general, in the general. Because since the election of 2020, he has not been able to walk the talk. The candidates that he endorsed have not won in the midterms. They didn't do too well in 2020 either. So there's been a problem because he can't let it go. And he's pa- he's backward looking and not forward looking. So I present Exhibit B, Ron DeSantis. 
This week, he suspended a state attorney, and we're going to play that for you because this is a guy that has walked the talk, and I think he deserves a closer look. And, you know, let's take a look at a guy who, again, has the courage to do what he did here. Take a listen. And the Ninth Circuit has been clearly and fundamentally derelict so as to constitute both neglect of duty and incompetence. The policies or practices listed in our executive order uh, suspending her uh, con that constitutes the grounds of suspension are as follows. Uh, one, a pattern or practice to avoid minimum mandatory sentences for gun crimes. Pattern or practice to avoid minimum mandatory sentences for drug trafficking offenses. Pattern and practice allowing juvenile offenders to avoid serious charges and incarceration altogether. Pattern or practice to avoid valid and applicable sentencing enhancements. Pattern or practice limiting charges for child pornography. Pattern or practice for seeking withhold, withholding of adjudication in situations not permitted under Florida law. Prosecutors do have a certain amount of discretion about which cases to bring and which not. Uh, but what this state attorney has done is abuse that discretion and has effectively nullified certain laws in the state of Florida. That breaches her duties that she owes to the people of Florida under our state constitution uh, and provides the basis uh, for the suspension. And we. DeSantis is admittedly not flashy. You could even say he's not charismatic. But he's a veteran. He has done some amazing things in resisting government intervention from federally in Florida, most uh, prominently his actions during pandemic. And uh, I wouldn't discard Ron DeSantis as someone who could easily, easily defeat Joe Biden, for that matter, Gavin Newsom, for that matter, Michelle Obama in November of 24. And I question whether, in fact, Donald Trump can do that. But, you know, I know many of you disagree with me, but I just ask you to think about that. I don't have time to play any Ramaswamy sound now, but we'll talk with Catherine Barnett at 8 o'clock. You'll hear that interview. I was able to talk with her, and you'll hear that interview um, at 8, uh, 8 o'clock. But coming up, Virginia Cruda. We'll see what she thinks about Christie's fat pig, uh, Trump's fat pig comments and uh, her crystal ball at this point in the election cycle, as well as Merrick Garland comments. More coming up on the Tobler Show right after this. Back with you here on the Randy Tober Show on News Talk STL 1019-941. Every Saturday we get together with Virginia Cruda. Coming up at 825 is uh, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. We've got a lot to talk about with him. Virginia, how are you doing this, uh, this morning? Are you thinking like I am that Merrick Garland's appointment of <laughs> David Weiss as special counsel is really a Babylon B uh, spoof. I mean, this is he got together with Babylon B and they produced a little fake video. What do you think? No, I mean, I think it's I think it's real, but I think it's a smokescreen. Like, I'm kidding you, of course. Yeah, we're going to go I ahead. Mean, I can't believe it. We're going to go ahead and and prosecute him, kind of in name only. Because remember, David Weiss is the same guy who wrote the um, the the sweetheart deal that. Yeah. Hunter didn't quite get by the prosecution, you know. <laughs> I know. This is the, this is the same guy. So, so to suggest that he's somehow suddenly going to be like, okay, let's get this guy. Now I don't know. 
It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I just, I, I, it, it, it looks so transparently either. Okay. Even if they've decided, look, we're going to throw hunt. That's the other, that's the other possibility they've decided. And Joe has agreed to throw Hunter under the bus and they're going to go after him with both guns and hope that that's everyone on the everyone else will be satisfied. That's been asking for more than Hunter. And they're praying and hoping that a, a harsh prosecution of Hunter and seeing him do the perp walk to jail will quiet all of the wrangling on the right. And, and Joe can go back to the basement and, and go for election 24. That's the only other way or, I can process it. Or. The rest of the people who are actually running the show thought if we prosecute Hunter and we really go after him, Joe will say it's not worth it and step down so that someone else can take foot. Ah, ah, that flashed across my mind at 3 a.m. and I but I couldn't bring it back to my mind now i'm glad you brought that up you think it may just pressure him to, they just they sort of put their hand around the old boy and they say hey joe you know for the sake of the family you know why don't you just take yeah. the off the, the you want to preserve the family name i mean you know well, okay, we're, well, let's, we're going let's, after let's, hunter biden we're going to go yeah, after yeah. him for the stuff that only touches him unless you keep running for president yeah yeah Okay. Okay, that's that's so that we got a few possibilities here. It's either that they're gonna, they're this is just a, okay. You caught us with our pants down with that yeah, that uh, that concealed immunity blanket immunity mm-hmm. in the diversionary gun uh, charge deal. Uh, okay, so I guess we got to go through the motions. And what'd you call it? A prosecution in name only. That would make it a pino or a pino, wouldn't it? A prosecution Something like in name that, only. Yeah. Okay, a uh, pino. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Well, let's let's take your third theory, and that is that it pressures Biden to take himself off the stage. Who is the right. most likely replacement for the nomination for the Democrat Party in in the general election for president in twenty four? Newsom, because they can paint Kamala Harris as guilty by association. Well, if she was part of the White House, she had to know what he was involved in. She can be tainted by any investigation that would touch Joe. Um, yeah, yeah. That and her. They don't want her, do they? I mean, they realize that that's well, a that's a guaranteed it, loss. The thing is, the minute Joe Biden jump jumps out, if he jumps out while they're still in a primary, Kamala Harris will lose a primary. She's our, she already has. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So all they have you, to do is make it a contested primary, and she's toast. So what do you think about, okay, let's let's follow that through. I mean, let's she, had what, one, a, she couldn't even get 1% of the vote. It almost doesn't right. matter who they run against her. She'll lose. Right, right. Even Trump in, in orange uh, jumpsuit in jail uh, would, would win. No, okay, no, now, no. A, a Democrat. I'm talking about the Democrat primary. Oh, a Democrat in the primary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she, you're right. She couldn't even get 1% in the primary. She dropped out right. before, before the before first contest, remember? She, yeah. she yeah. dropped out... Um, she dropped out before Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Her her Venn Venn diagram didn't make it to the first uh, to the first primary. Okay, so well, let's let's follow this through as we're doing. We're talking sorry uh, some theoretical election politics with Virginia Cruda here, and you're you play four D chess all the time. I I, I know that now, having uh, with our multiple conversations, you think these things through <laughs> in many different layers. Okay, 
So we have a DeSantis Newsom debate. Where is it? November, December? Is that going to be for four or after the Elon and uh, and Mark, uh, you know, thriller in Manila? No, it'll be in Italy. Um, good news or bad news for DeSantis? And overall, what do you think of Newsom's chances against, let's just say, any Republican nominee? Here's here's the thing. They're not going after like when they do this, they're going after independence because obviously any Democrat in this country is already going to vote for Newsom and every Republican is probably going to vote for DeSantis if the two of them were the final matchup, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they're going after independence. And the problem with this debate is that Gavin Newsom is pretty smooth. And if you're looking mm. at, I don't know if you remember the the Kennedy Nixon debate. Oh yeah, well I wasn't. I it, mean, I was barely alive then. Let's the just people, say that. Like the people who listened, alive. there was a, there was a um, a study done on these debates because Nixon refused to wear makeup. It was a televised debate. He refused to wear makeup, and he did not look well. He had he was recovering from something and and looked yeah. as sick as he was. I think he was sweating. He sort of looked like, uh, yeah, yes. yeah, you're right. I think he was sweating. Yeah. So, so it, what was interesting was that people who listened to the debate on the radio believed that Nixon had won because the content of the debate suggested that he had a better handle on the issues. The people mm -hmm. who watched the debate on television all said that Kennedy won because Nixon looks horrible. So if DeSantis is halting at all, if he um, gets hammered on going too far into the culture war issues, it's not going to matter if this is a televised debate and video clips are everywhere on YouTube and Twitter and because that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. If Newsom mm -hmm. gets a few zingers in about DeSantis pushing abortion bans or banning books or getting, a, I, we, I know he didn't ban books, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Those I are going to be the sound bites. Yeah, if, if, if Newsom gets some of those and he looks smooth doing it, we could have a problem on our hands. Yeah. DeSantis has got to get a better debate face and it's something that we, I think will happen with time anyway I think he's great at handling the media but I think that sometimes it's easy to catch him on his on yeah. flat feet if you know what I mean do you know do um, you know and I, it, I mean this in a complimentary way Virginia so it won't to, matter to, that, to, that he's got a he's got the record of doing better during COVID. It won't matter that he didn't get caught at a restaurant with no mask in the middle of all this stuff. It, that stuff won't matter if there are a bunch of sound bites that make him look like he was flat footed in the middle of a debate. Okay, so you're basically saying what a lot of the analysts are, have been saying that, and even, I guess, some donors, it's been reported. It's just he just doesn't know how to work the room. He doesn't have that that charisma, that that spark, that uh, Obama, Clinton, uh, you know, even George W. I mean, you know, Reagan. There's something about that spark that that you know. I mean, unloud. Let's not forget Biden. When you talk about old Sparky, uh, no, I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. So, um, but but here's the deal. This is why I think we need to look at Ramaswamy. 
Ramaswamy is not afraid of taking on the most aggressive CNN, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, CNN reporter. Um, he's sharp on his feet. He's young. He's, you know, I don't know. I just I don't think we should discard him out of hand. Am I just am I just absolutely out to lunch, Virginia? Um, I, I, I you know, I was going to say something. Lunch, you, you were okay. talking about the charisma and I said sometimes. Sometimes the charisma is all there is. And yeah. then you brought up Ramaswamy, and my first thought was, and here's a perfect example. I feel like he's got the charisma, but there's not a lot of substance underneath. Oh, really? Oh, man, I don't know. Well, that's okay, well, maybe that's I'm my wrong. impression of him. Yeah, I don't know. I I heard him on a I heard him uh, talk back against a climate change. Someone on uh, was it called Breaking Point? Whatever Breaking Point is, but but, um, but anybody can learn what to say. That's that's the thing. Anybody can know the right things to say. Anybody who's paying attention can figure. I mean, let, let's let's go to Donald Trump for an exa- for an example. Okay, Donald Trump is not a conservative guy. He's a populist. Yeah. And I don't think that you're going to argue with me on that. In order for him to win as a Republican, he had to learn what to say to get the people behind him. Yeah, granted. Granted. I just I just think that uh, his personal Donald Trump is a like- perfect example of somebody who has a lot of charisma. And even if he doesn't believe everything that he's saying, he knows what to say to appeal to a certain section of the people. Now, in our case, thankfully, he followed through on a lot of that because he understood that to keep those people happy, he had to actually do the things he was saying. Right. And and so, which is why I think we ended up in Trump with a president who did a lot of the things he promised to do instead of just promising to do them. But... I, I feel like Ramaswamy is cut from a, a a similar type of cloth. Like he he knows what to say, and he but but I also feel like he's kind of clearing a path for Trump. I don't think he's I don't think he's trying to be president. I think he's trying to propel Trump into the White House and then yeah. earn position and favor that way. Well, you know, I mean, look, I could live with that. I could, and absolutely, I, Trump is better than anyone, anyone that the Democrats could throw. Okay, but but I, I think Trump has the highest chance of losing among the, the leading candidates in the general. I really do. All right, I got to run. We'll have to continue this discussion more. I didn't get to the discussion, the raging discussion after Ohio as to <laughs> is the enemy of better best when it comes to the abortion restrictions that's that's a that's going to be an ongoing and raging fire among conservative circles thanks well, Virginia. We'll talk about that next 2022, week. i think that that's an accurate assessment yeah we'll uh we'll talk about it next week thanks virginia all right sounds good all right speaking of vivek ramaswamy Catherine barnett his grassroots advisor coming up in just a few stay there Really a pleasure to talk to grassroots director and advisor to presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, Catherine Barnett, herself a, a, a veteran, a former adjunct professor, a conservative commentator, and uh, boy, just the all-American 
person. And I'm really, uh, I'm really excited about this campaign. How are things going, Catherine? Thanks for being with me. No, no, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it is going well. Uh, the last three polls that I've looked at, I don't, you know, uh, polls come out fast and furious at times. But the last three that I've seen, uh, Vivek is now uh, the, in second place on the poll. Uh, other, he has leapfrogged other perennial candidates with very large name IDs and pack money. And Vivek uh, has just leapfrogged all of them and I believe uh, he's doing so well in this race because the American people are not stupid we are looking for something real something authentic we've lived through three of the worst years in our lives as a nation with the shutting down of businesses our economy, our schools the force mandates left and right, the open borders now teetering on World War III with Russia and I believe a lot of Americans are looking around and they realize something that's gone wrong with our country and we're looking for someone with real ideals who are authentic and not plastic like most of these politicians. So I think that is the reason why at a base level that Vivek is doing so well. You yourself have been a candidate in a high-profile race uh, running for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania last year. So you you have a good sense personally of energy and excitement, uh, you know, at, at a rally, at a gathering, at a stump speech. How are you gauging the public response at those live events with Vivek? Yeah, again, I feel the energy. You're so right. I ran against Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick and several others here in Pennsylvania. Just to give your audience some perspective, Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick, just between those two alone, they spent $60 million in our primary, Republican primary in Pennsylvania last year. I spent $1.6 million and almost won, uh, lost by less than 5%, over 330 thousand Pennsylvanians voted for me. Why? It's the exact same uh, sense of understanding that I that I feel with Vivek with Vivek's campaign as well. There is an energy, there is an enthusiasm. I did not go around buying endorsements, buying eyeballs with slick commercials. I went out and I spoke to the American people and I was speaking what they were thinking. That's exactly what Vivek is doing now. He is, um, there was a report that came out from, I believe, The Hill, where they uh, were enumerating the number of times each presidential candidate has come to Iowa and Vivek was leading the pack in significant double digits relative to all the others. Mm. You will not outwork him. He is going to the people and he doesn't care who it is he's speaking to. He will go and talk to anyone whether it's at Fox News or MSNBC, CNN, the Breakfast Club in uh, New York City. He will talk to anyone. Protesters come and try to shout him down at his own town hall. You can see it the videos have gone viral on TikTok. He will actually come, call them back in, give them the mic, and have a dialogue right there in front of everyone. <laughs> and so Republicans are watching this. They're mind blown that, wow, he's not shouting people down. He's not mimicking them or calling them ugly names. But he's reasoning with people. And it's not that they turn and say, okay, well, now I'm going to vote for you. It's not that at all. But 
we are losing our country. In fact, I believe in many regards we have lost many aspects of our country and shouting people down, doing epic takedown videos or gotcha own you moments. We're not winning. We have to begin to have dialogue. We gotta start speaking truth out loud. You'll get a lot of truth from Babek. He starts off with there's God is real. There are only two genders, and then he moves down 10 of his top undeniable truths. He's speaking the hard things out loud, and he is humanizing people, and let's have a dialogue. I believe the Republican Party is watching that. They're looking at that, and it is moving people. It's working. We're talking with Catherine Barnett, grassroots director and advisor to Vivek Ramaswamy. I uh, I printed out his truths because uh, to me it's sort of a roadmap to political success because we are still a center-right country. I think we're moving more right after a big left turn over the past, well, th- there was the Trump interlude, but other than that, we've had the Obama and now two years of disaster with uh, uh, with Biden. It's been, a, it's been a hard left turn with that little interlude, and um, I, these truths are truths. Now, there's one thing that isn't on this list that I think he's making i think i've heard him on some interviews of vivek talk about law and order i mean we we watch these mobs in chicago in in san francisco in new york city and the the mayor of chicago saying oh don't call it a mob it's it's a large gathering how is uh, how's vivek uh, dealing with that uh, just lunacy in terms of reacting to this just just criminality that's gone unchecked Yes, and it starts from the top, right? And so he has been very, very clear about the weaponization of our government. We have created a two-tier system. If it's Antifa and Black Lives Matter, it's a mostly peaceful gathering. But if it's individuals, Americans, who believe that something has gone wrong with the way we elect our president and we want to go on a January 6th, let's say, and, and protest that and let our voices be heard, then all of a sudden, that's an insurrection. That's a te- that's an act of terrorism on our government. There is something that has fundamentally gone wrong. You can actually see it with how uh, former President uh, Trump is being treated. Vivek has been very vocal, even about that. Donald Trump is his opponent, and yet, if we when we win, we want to win not because. Uh, an elite group of people have sat in the back rooms in, under under these uh, three-letter organizations and have decided who they will allow to win. When we win, we want to win because the American people has said, we want you to lead us, not because you, the DOJ and Biden administration want to use the government in order to remove their number one opponent. That's not how we want to win. And that is not just, it's not just about getting into that office, but it's the weaponization of our laws. And so Babake has been very clear and articulating that and been very clear and standing up for not just Donald Trump, but for the rule of law and not this two-tier system that we're currently living on under. So one of the things he said is that you, if you remember when Elon Musk, Musk took over Twitter and we had Twitter spate or um, the Twitter file release, Babake has promised to um, to release 
the the records of the state files, uh, those conversations that the Biden administration has had with uh, the likes of Facebook and, and Google and Twitter and using those particular private organizations to shut down or censor um, American free speech. I believe, like Vivek, that sunlight is the best form of disinfectant. So he's going to release it. Let's put it out there. Let's have some transparency so the American people can know how their government has been obfuscated so that we can get it back on track. Secondly, he said he will shut down the FBI. Uh, and there's about 35,000 uh, uh, people who work within the FBI, under the FBI umbrella. Only about 15,000 of them act are actual uh, FBI agents. So more than half of them would be fired. The other 15,000 or so can be absorbed under other uh, organizations versus the duplication of our nation right now. So those are some of the things. Now, how many of our elect are these particular candidates who are running for president are saying this out loud? These are the kinds of ideas, big, bold, and very succinct that we're going to need in order to get our country back on track. Catherine, there's a question that, of course, is the big 60,000-pound gorilla in the corner of the room, and that is, this is the most unusual environment I think any slate of candidates has ever faced with a former president running for president with three and very soon probably four sets of indictments. And it's interesting to see how the various candidates have handled this. I think Vivek has done a, a marvelous job of dealing with it. It is a difficult thing to because there's this paradoxical at least in some people's minds, paradoxical rise in Donald Trump's poll numbers the more and more he gets slammed, which I think reflects the weaponization of the DOJ. Um, how How is the campaign managing that, and what's the response to that to that stance on the whole Trump thing as far as you know still trying to get your get some get some profile, get some visibility, get past that discussion about it's all about Trump all the time because of the indictments yeah, you know you know in in reality, I know I started the conversation talking about our poll numbers, but in reality, Bobate spends very little time looking at his poll numbers and he will tell you. Uh, he is not running against, uh, uh, you know, these other candidates. He's running for um, the, the our country and this vision of where it is we want to go. That is what occupies and obsesses his, that he's obsessed over is what is the vision? How do I cast a vision for this nation to go forward? Because the reality is we don't even know who we are. We have forgotten our national identity. If you ask most Americans, what does it mean to be an American? They look at you like a deer in headlights. We have no idea of who we are. The things that used to ground us and anchor us and allow us to, to weather dark moments in our country, those things have been uprooted. Whether we're talking about faith, whether we're talking about family or national pride, or even uh, individuality, meritocracy, those things have been uprooted and in their place has been, uh, we, we put things like, instead of bowing a knee to uh, to a God that is real, we have bowed a knee to climate, this climate cult. It's not even a religion, it's a cult. And we bend the knee to it instead of being proud of our country.
country and and standing uh, for the Pledge of Allegiance and pledging our loyalty to a nation. We're pledging our loyalty to the LGBTQAI plus community. We were proud in that versus being proud in a national identity and standing um, for that versus taking a knee. Instead of having family, it's all about transgenderism. That's your new family. And, and instead of, you know, meritocracy, now it's all about race identity, right? Having our identity, not in what it is I can create, but in this collective race consciousness of a country. And so he spends a tremendous amount of time uh, trying to remind Americans why this is the greatest country that has ever existed and why we need to stand for her and to fight for her. Because without that vision, our, there is no culture. And unless we have a coach, I mean, because right now there's a culture. It's of the things that I just finished talking about a few moments ago, uh, w whether it's climate change, transgenderism, race conscious, everything or the LGBTQ community, uh, that's the culture that is dominating us right now. And from that, our people are being left riddled with a whole lot of things that are not necessarily positive. We need to, in the Republican Party, we need to be the party that is casting a vision of where do we go from here? How do we build a culture that springboards our young people to want to get married, have children, not cutting off their breasts, not chemically castrating our little boys where do we go from here and that is what he obsesses over and spends his time doing well, I've uh, certainly got my eye on him, and I think a lot of people, he's caught a lot of folks' attention with his very solid, firm, consistent stances. And so uh, we hope to continue the uh, the conversation with you, and uh, maybe if he's got a minute sometime, we'll get him on the air and have uh, both of you talk with us, because I I, I think, um, I don't know, I think it's, he's, someone to, he's someone to watch. You know, outsiders have made some ways, have made some inroads before, and he's got a track record of uh, leadership, so we'll be keeping an eye on him, and we thank you for being with with us, Catherine Barnett. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. So, Catherine Barnett uh, lays out the case for Vivek Ramaswamy. Probably a ultra long shot for landing in the Oval Office, at least in twenty four. But who knows what happens in twenty eight and beyond? Coming up, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft lawsuit filed against him uh, and his ruling uh, to try to protect us from ESG woke madness with financial investments. A lot else going on. We'll talk to him in just a few minutes. Secretary of State Jay Ascroft on News Talk STL 1019-941. The Randy Tober Show straight ahead. It's always fun when we get together with Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft, of course, candidate for governor and um, just off of an election week. So I guess so you coming up for air, Jay, and uh, back on the campaign trail after, a, uh, you know, not a, not not the busiest of elections, but still, I mean, that's a lot of work when you have an election going on across the state, right? Unfortunately, it wasn't a busy election. We saw uh, the vast majority of people didn't show up to vote. We only had about uh 50 to 55 uh election jurisdictions in the state which was fewer than half of them that had elections and turnout tended to be in the teens uh so it wasn't a bad week right now we're just focused on it we got sued by uh, a large uh group of uh investment securities people because they don't think that it's right that we should force them to make sure that they tell investors what they're investing their money in it's a crazy crazy world I saw that, and I understand Mr. Fisher 
a former SEC prosecutor is your new BFF, right? I mean, he's, uh, he's you guys tipping a beer now and then. And, uh, you know, uh, but tell us about what you why principled people who are vocal and that would describe you which is a compliment, um, they tend to, the trouble seems to find them because people don't like when you're disruptive and looking out for the folks, do they? <laughs> well, as I tell my wife, I don't go looking for trouble. When I see it coming, I kind of dig in my heels because I figure it's time to fight. <laughs> yeah, we put out a rule in Missouri that said if you're an investment advisor, broker dealer, and you're suggesting a discretionary trade to someone, then you have to disclose if you're not suggesting that trade to get them the maximum financial return, if there's a social agenda or some other reason that you're suggesting it, you have to let them know, and then they have to give you permission. Heaven forbid, investment advisors have to do what the person that's investing the money wants them to do. Go figure. Now, the you know, the uh, the plaintiffs are claiming that this is going to uh, cause a lot more in, in administrative costs and all of the, you know, all of the rigmarole that goes around with rules and regulations. And uh, I would I would imagine that at your core as a conservative, you're probably in general a limited government guy and you don't want to create a lot of hassles for people. What what would your rule actually require? The complaint has been that it's going to be too vague. I mean, what actually is the requirement if I sign on with a financial advisor? Do they have to let me know every time BlackRock is showing up at an investor meeting, investing in some clean energy company? Or what would be the requirement? No, the requirement is if, if there's a discretionary trade that's being suggested. So not something you have to do, but hey, you've got some money, you want to invest it. Here's what we would suggest you do. They just have to notify you if they're not suggesting that because they think this is the trade that will get you the best financial return. And people want generally speaking, the best financial return. But it doesn't stop you from being involved in something where maybe you say, you know, I want some of my investment to, to benefit my faith-based organization or to, to benefit uh, the local dog park or to, to benefit the town square where I was born. Um, all we say is that the, the, the company has to make sure you understand that's being done and have to get your permission. They technically don't have to ha keep any information, but what we said was, if you're just suggesting something that isn't for the best financial return, there's a safe harbor for you to protect yourself if you've gotten this signed uh, consent from the investor. If you don't have that and they sue you, it's gonna be a little bit harder for you to prove that you're right, mm -hmm. but if you do that, that'll just be prima facie evidence that yeah, you did what you're supposed to do. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it's again, looking out to make sure that people know wide eyes wide open that they might be making a financial sacrifice in the name of whatever kind of social or cultural uh, issue they want to advance. You're a leader in the pack here because your office, I guess, is a little unusual that the secretary of state uh, compared to others actually has this jurisdiction over uh, uh, securities and financial stuff. Are there, is there precedent in other states or are you the, the, the tip of the spear here in this movement? There are seven other states, I believe, where the Secretary of State has authority over securities. Uh, but Missouri is really the first state in the country that's taking this approach. A lot of other states took the approach of you can't invest in this, you can't invest in that. And I can't do that as a small government Republican because I believe if it's your money, you should get to decide how you invest in it. So we didn't tell people they couldn't do something or they 
They couldn't invest in something or they had to invest in something. We just said it has to be disclosed so the investment advisor gets informed consent. That's been some, okay. that's been the sort of thing that's been required for longer than either of us have been alive. It's just never been applied in this area because frankly, historically it was always assumed and understood that your investment advisor was trying to get you the best possible return. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean, I guess it's it's natural to me to to adopt that as sort of like duh, you know, because of being in the medical industry, I, that's when I talk with a patient, we got to let them know the good, the bad, the ugly, what may happen with any given, you know, proposed treatment. All right, moving along. Um, there is a group. We're talking with the Secretary of State and gubernatorial candidate Jay Ashcroft. Uh, there is, I think, a growing and increasingly um, vigorous argument in conservative slash GOP circles, Jay, about whether the when it comes to the abortion argument and absolute restrictions and restricting initiative petitions to undo the absolute restrictions. I mean, vis-a-vis, you know, one of the most absolute restrictions in the states, which is in Missouri, um, whether the enemy of uh, of better is best. And, you know, uh, where do you stand on that on the heels of Ohio's defeat of the initiative process, petition process um, reigning in, which is not going to happen? Where do you stand on that? Well, a lot of a lot of different subjects there. First and foremost, um, I, I believe in protecting life. And for me, the question comes down to, are we talking about an individual separate human life? And if we are, then I believe it's government's role to protect those that have no voice, to protect those that have no political power. And when you're talking about a child still in the womb, I think that's the quintessential individual that needs to be protected, that has no voice that government should protect. I've always said if you can prove that that's just a clump of cells and it's not an individual human life, then government won't, you know, it's not government's decision. But all the science indicates, I I would say the science proves that you're talking about an individual human life and we need to protect that that individual human life. And, you know, there are 11 initiative petitions that have been filed that would make abortion, if passed, abortion legal in the state of Missouri from the very moment of conception to the very last moment, the very last millimeter of the child leaves the birth canal, the the partial birth abortion, you name name it, would be approved. And I just don't believe that Missourians are going to approve of that. I believe that Missourians don't like abortion. Uh, I believe they want to protect life. They want to protect mothers, uh, uh, young women that are going through difficult times. And I think it would be great as a state if we could just put this behind us, remain committed to protecting life, and then focus our, our time and our efforts on how can we make sure that women that are going through difficult situations they know that they will be taken care of, that their future is still good and future is still bright and not just worry about the child, but the mother worry about both of them. Yeah, I'm I'm as pro-life as you. My concern is, though, if we if we us pro-lifers um, don't do something to restrict the initiative petition process. And that was a, a major fail of this last legislative session. Um, it could be that, in fact, we get the worst of all outcomes, an IP process that leads to constitutional passage or, you know, constitutional enshrinement of absolute up until birth, uh, you know, uh, abortion rights. 
has happened in Kansas. I mean, look look at what happened over there. And so I'm, I'm wondering, in, in the end, are we going to end up losing more lives <laughs> by opening up the floodgates by not? And the polling, Jay, I think does say that most of, well, most uh, American citizens are OK with some exceptions, uh, rape, abortion, uh, rape and incest, for instance. Could you live with that as an intermediate step while culturally we continue to fight the fight we fought for 50 years? You know, I'm not willing to go back. The problem for me is that I believe that you're talking and is that and it's not really a problem. I believe that you're talking about an individual human life. How can I stand up and say, yes, it's okay to, to kill that little baby in the womb when I believe that little baby in the womb has done nothing wrong. Where else in government okay. do we give the death penalty without saying that they're guilty? I believe that we ought to get our initiative petition uh, process under control, but frankly, I've been talking about that since 2016. It's not because of, of the fact that I'm pro-life and and, and because of uh, abortion initiative petitions, it's because I believe that we're supposed to be a republic. That's what the United States Constitution says, that we have to be a republic form of government. We were designed as a constitutional republic where our rights are not decided by a majority of the people that, that voted at the last elections. We have rights that are granted by God, and it doesn't matter if 50% plus one of the voters disagree. Mm. That's still a decision that individuals should be able to make. So I really think they're two separate issues. They got conflated in Ohio, but um, I, I don't conflate them in Missouri. I believe we need to move on initiative petition reform, but I also believe that the 11 initiative petitions that were filed on abortion, I believe that they will fail in November. It won't happen easily, but it will happen because of hard work. And when the people of Missouri understand what those initiative petitions would really do, I don't believe they'll agree with them. All right, Jay, I got to ask you this. Um, there, There is so much disappointment among grassroots conservatives in this state that with supermajority in the House, a Republican governor, examples in Texas, Tennessee, and Florida of lower taxes, I'm talking like eliminating or gradually planning to eliminate property tax, however you want to do it. I mean, extraordinarily low taxes, um, freedom, uh, and you know, on and on and on, educational choice, and nothing really substantively happened in this last session or the session before that. Were you elected governor? How would you change that situation, Jay Ashcroft? Well, I mean, that's the first thing. What's the biggest thing that Republicans will say they did in the legislature this session? They will say that they banned transgender surgeries for minors and the chemical castrations and that they protected women's sports. But the truth of the matter is they put a four-year sunset on those laws. So that only applies for four years. If I were governor and they had passed that, I would have vetoed it and said, you're coming back for an extraordinary session. If four years was too short for tax credits, uh, two sessions ago, four years is too short to protect our kids. We'll protect our kids in perpetuity. We're going to ban transgender surgeries for kids. If you're 18 years old and want to spend your own money, that's your decision. But we're going to let kids be kids a little bit longer. When it comes to educational freedom, I've been talking about that since at least 2018. I called for it when I opened up the Missouri House of Representatives in 21 and 23. As governor, I will let the legislature know that that is my top priority to make sure every child in this state 
gets has the opportunity to get a challenging education, and frankly, I'll veto bills until they pass the bill that will do that. Um, that's what we need. We need leadership and a, a willingness to understand that you can you can uh, compromise on policy, but you can't p- compromise on principles. And my principles, my basis of what I do as an elected official is how can I give individuals more control to make their own individual decisions uh, in their individual circumstances? We've got to put people back in control, not the government. All right. Finally, I, I got to ask you this. Uh, and again, this relates to one of the big issues that but there, there seems to be very little movement on. I, I, I have a house. I bought the house. I'm paying my mortgage and I'm renting it from the government. And I've just told my rent's going to go up, Jay. And if I've, I've got yep. a tractor on my little hobby farm and I have to rent my tractor that I paid for. And oh, by, by, by the way, my ATV that I go that I drive around on my farm. Why do I have to rent my stuff from my from my government, Jay? And can you do anything about that? Because we have elected Republicans that are what I will call big government Republicans. There are three types. I would say there are three types of people in Jefferson City. You have big you have the Democrats that just believe in big government regardless. And then you have the largest portion of Republicans are are Republicans that say, oh big government is bad. Wait, we're in we're in charge? Well, if we're in charge, then big government is good. And you just have a handful of Republicans that truly believe that big government is bad. What we have to do is we actually have to reduce the size and scope of government. We need to start budgeting, not from what did we do last year, but what are the core responsibilities of government? Let's fund those what we need to, and then let's start returning all this money and not collecting it back to the people. We need to cut income tax. We can cut the property tax. We can cut a lot of our taxes, but the way you do it is by cutting the size and scope of government. We went in exactly the wrong direction when we had $2 billion sitting in the bank that we didn't know what to do with, and we went ahead and raised the gas tax anyway. I fought vehemently against it. That's the sort of governor I'll be. I will fight for the people to make their own decisions about how they spend their money. All right. Uh, Jay Ashcroft, thank you for giving me some of your very uh, precious time. I know how busy you are both in your official duties and on the campaign trail. Uh, best way for folks to stay in touch with you on Twitter at Jay Ashcroft uh, on t- MO, right? At Jay Ashcroft MO on the unofficial side, on the official side at Missouri SOS. Okay. Hey, we thank you for being with me. I really appreciate the time. Thank, thank you. you. All right, Jay Ashcroft, uh, there he is. We'll uh, we'll be talking with the various candidates uh, as uh, the primary season rolls on and this election cycle rolls on. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting time. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of I think similarities, but also some distinctions among the candidates. And we uh, we always appreciate when Jay is with us, very willing to come on. And that access uh, it tells me something about a person right there. I'll just tell you. And we've got uh, like I say, we'll be following up with others too. All right, when we come back. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, your car and the freedom that you have with your car. We'll be back with Eric Peters to talk about that as we wrap it up here on the Randy Tober Show. Stay there. Love you too, Tony and Katie. Always love when we get together with Tony and Katie on Thursdays. It's always great fun. Boy, it's no, there's no better lineup than uh, the lineup here on Newstalk STL. I mean, I, I'm always listening to earbuds all the time. It's, it's, a, it's an addiction. Watch out. Hey, it's uh, it's uh, it's a scary time to be in America with uh, people being canceled, uh, the government 
looking after everything we do, monitoring everything, regulating everything. Eric Peters is one of the nation's mm-hmm. foremost automotive experts and uh, an author as well. He's uh, written uh, several books, including Automotive Atrocities, The Cars We Love to Hate, and Roadhogs. And you've written mm-hmm. him, you've seen him in a lot of the national uh, press as well. And uh, welcome to the show. How you doing, Eric? Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Randy. And by the way, I haven't heard the final countdown in probably 20 years. Hey, I got to tell you, man, um, I I like driving older cars because they don't Mm -hmm. have the technology that will either be, you know, monitored by the eye in the sky and and know where and how far I drive. Uh, There's not a there's not a dash cam, as far as I know, looking at me as I drive to see if my eyes are on the road rather than, you know, a phone or something. Um, And now uh, they're watching us. You say that the cars are watching us. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Well, they're listening to you, too. You know, it's ironic to think about it when we refer to our car, you know, uh, which is still true in a legal sense in that you buy the car, you pay for it. You think, hey, this is my car. But uh, the car is also collecting data, mining you and then monetizing you. And uh, that is being exploited by two entities. One, of course, is the government. Uh, and the other are these big corporations. And that's their new revenue stream. It's not just that they make money selling you a car. They then turn around and sell you. Uh, they, they find out about your preferences by the things that you pipe through your car. For example, uh, if you use the GPS to find a particular restaurant or uh, search for some other thing, uh, that data then is collected because now they know that you like that particular thing. It's sort of like when you have Amazon Alexa in your house and the thing overhears that you want a certain kind of dog food or you're interested in a certain kind of dog food. And all of a sudden you start getting pitched for that particular type of, of food. And that's what's happening here with these cars. Wow. So it's so like Facebook. Uh, they're I mean, we're the product and they're then selling us exactly. and our our tastes to the, the, the retail market, right? To the retail industry mm-hmm. or whoever. Yeah, we're not uh, even wow. getting we're are they listening as well as the mail as a thank you for it. Yeah, I'll be darn. No, so are they listening to conversation um, and not just stuff that we press on the little touch screen panel, you know, the GPSing and so forth? They're not listening they, to us. Are they, they? Cert- they certainly can. There are microphones built into the car. Indeed, uh, a number of new cars use. You've probably heard about voice recognition interfaces. So, for yeah. example, uh, I was test driving a new Mercedes a couple of weeks back, and rather than physically uh, touch a control to change the radio station, you say, hey, Mercedes, and the thing hears you, and then it, uh, an AI woman comes on and says, what can I do for you? And then you tell the car, well, change the station to whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, this sort of technology is now ubiquitous, and also the cameras that are built into the car. So potentially, you know, you can be watched, you can be heard, as well as monitored uh, as you drive. And, you know, it's a pretty creepy thing because you're not allowed to opt out, you know, in the sense that if you buy a new car, all of these features are embedded in the vehicle and you don't have any ability to just turn them off. And that's really the nut of this, this issue in my mind. Wow, that's scary. We're talking with Eric Peters, Eric Peters Autos, and he's uh, on Twitter, well, is it X? Is it Twitter? I don't know what it is anymore. At EP Autos. At EP Autos. <laughs> yeah, right. I got to ask X, you about the, there, was a, there was a report, Eric, uh, the other day about I think it was a truck that went off the road and it was a it was a you know one of these automatic you know auto driven trucks and um, mm-hmm. 
I, you know, the guy, I, I think the guy was quoted as saying, man, the hell with this. I'm, I don't want any part of this. What is that technology ever going to see the light of the day? Can we really ever imagine a day when we don't have our hands on the wheel? Well, they're working on it, and a number of new cars already have uh, an, an element or uh, a degree of that technology embedded, and it ranges from some form of what they call steering assist, where, where the car actually will steer the car through a curve, for example, or maintain its lane, to, to the full autopilot system that Tesla touts, which is a completely hands-free system where people can literally fall asleep, and the car will supposedly get them to their destination. Uh, and I do think that the uh, the powers that be uh, really want to see something like this come online, uh, and it won't be optional when it does at some point, in my view, because what they want is to take you out of the driver's seat, turn you into a passenger, and make uh, your ability to, to travel conditional on you being a good little boy or girl, just like in China under their social credit system. Wow. Hey, well, let's follow this uh Let's follow this spying on you theme that we talked about. You know, they're listening, mm -hmm. they're watching, they're knowing where you're GPSing, they know what kind of restaurants you're searching for, what kind of where you where you go to gas stations. Okay, I get all that. Mm -hmm. Remember when? Well, and they're still there. I mean, a lot. I think in some areas you get incentivized to have a so-called smart thermostat in your home, where the government can Absolutely. regulate. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. Could we imagine a time where, in the name of the the climate? A change hysteria they could put a the equivalent of a governor on your throttle by monitoring how fast you're going or how fast you accelerate you don't want to eliminate too many you know uh, emanate too many carbon gases or you know greenhouse gases could that be in the I've office bad, i've got some bad news it's already here there's something called speed limit assessed uh, assistance technology it's required in europe and uh, most new cars already have it now in this country uh, it's simply uh, uh, marketed as a, a kind of um, assistance in that you look at the dashboard and a little icon will pop up uh, that looks like a speed limit sign. And in real time, it will tell you what the speed limit is on whatever road you happen to be driving on. And if you drive a little faster than that, then that speed limit sign, which is the typical white with the black letters, shifts to an angry red. Now, it doesn't do anything yet here because it hasn't been enabled to do anything here yet. But in Europe, it will actually push back on the throttle to prevent you from speeding. And there's no question in my mind yeah. that that's, that's what they ultimately plan with this technology. All right. So, so government in collusion with this, these private public partnerships used to be like, oh, hey, uh, government's going to work with the Chamber of Commerce and put in a playground in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, now it's really it's, mm -hmm. we've created a monster here with it. Uh, we got collusion of the industry with the government to, uh, you know, control your life. But there are people in Congress fighting back. So for the audience to mm -hmm. a very active audience here, you got this is one of the smartest mm -hmm. and the most active audiences you might know, Eric. Uh, Jim Jordan and others are standing up uh, to Big Auto. What can be done? What should we advocate for? What bills are we looking at? Tell us what to do to try to, to try to stem the tide here. Well, my understanding is what they're attempting to do is to make this more a matter of um, giving you the ability to say yes or no to it. I'm not opposed to the technology per se. You know, if somebody wants to have this stuff in their car and they choose to have it in their car, well, that's perfectly fine. I believe in free choice. Uh, you know, I believe in the free market. And uh, it, it, the question is whether people should have the, the power to say no, particularly over things that are monetized. You know, people being made, uh, being paid into cash cows and, and not being at all compensated for that, I think, is wrong on a variety of levels. So some form of le legislation that, that requires people to say yes or no to this, and that gives them some degree of control uh, over the data that's in their car that they pay for strikes me as, as a pretty reasonable thing to demand. 
It seems as though in March, the House Energy and Commerce Committee passed the American Data Privacy and Protection Act mm-hmm. by all, almost a unanimous 53 to 2 margin. Hasn't gotten to the full chamber yet, though. So, I mean, this is analogous to you do have some options for, for increased privacy. Now, look, I could like you, I could see if I have a young skull full of mush just learning to drive, I'd like to be able to mm-hmm. push on that, you know, limit the throttle device. I'd love that. Or if something's mm-hmm. monitor their eyes and their eyes are overlooking at their cell phone rather whatever you know uh give them one warning and then shut the car down if they continue you know i mean i that there's there's a place for this but we ought to have control of our driving and what they're doing about uh, learning about us when we drive yeah it makes so sure, much I, sense where yeah go ahead to me technology is just a tool uh it, it's not necessarily good it's not necessarily bad uh the issue is whether is, is the use to which technology is put that's that's all yeah yeah, it's terrible. It's just awful. Well, listen, I want to thank you for uh, alerting us to this. I wasn't aware of this intrusion and just how pervasive it is. Uh, where's the best way for folks to keep up with you? Twitter, we said, at EP Autos. Anything else? You got a website? Where yeah, else that's, learn more about yeah my, my website is my website is epautos.com, and that's probably the easiest place for people to find my stuff if they're interested in that. All right. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being with me, Eric. Eric Peters. You bet. Thank Thanks, you so Randy. Much. All right. Eric Peters, uh, keeping an eye on technology, keeping an eye on us. It's frightening, isn't it? It's absolutely frightening. I just, man, what's going on is just crazy. But that's why we talk about it, because unless we're aware of these things, you cannot, you know, get in touch with the people that are ruling our lives. Well, I guess, uh, does that wrap it up, Leah? Are you turning off the electricity on my uh, my studio here? I mean, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. I guess. Okay. I got to sign out, guys. Hey, thanks for being with me. Stay in touch with me at Randy Tober, MD on Twitter. God willing, we'll see you next week when we continue to fight the good fight, seeking truth, destroying woke, and reminding you that faith, family, and freedom are the only way to keep this compass on true north. See you later. Hey.